Hello and welcome back. On this episode, we explore the idea of slow living as the general term for creating a more intentional and peaceful life. I've had the intention of buying some new books for a while now because ever since traveling more, I have been using my Kindle a lot and listening to a lot of audiobooks, but I really miss the experience of holding a tangible book in my hands. So just a couple of days ago, I went to a cute little bookstore with my mom and sister, and in the back of my mind, I've been thinking about certain topics that I want to learn more about, including the mythology of the goddess. I'm very interested in this topic, and I've read Women Who Run With the Wolves, which has become sort of like my bible <laughs> as it just has helped me go through so many different initiations of womanhood and has aided me tremendously in understanding certain life experiences so i was hoping to find more in a similar storytelling format the three of us walked into this bookstore dark wooden shelves to the ceiling with those narrow ladders, the ones that help you reach the books on the very top shelf, and my eyes did not know where to look first. There were small succulents on the shelves and little trinkets. As I passed by the front counter, I saw a stack of books, and I recognized the image of the Virgin of Guadalupe. Even though I've never had a specific affinity to this goddess as I've studied more Greek and Roman mythology. This iconic image will probably be recognized around the world. I've seen it many times on necklaces, on t-shirts, on candles. A woman with eyes cast downwards, a blue shawl draped over her head and shoulders. She stands illuminated in a yellow and orange light. She is atop a crescent moon being held by an angel with eagle's wings, her hands joined in prayer. She is Encinita, adorned with ribbon, the symbol of her expecting to give birth to God's only son. The image of the woman is Mestiza. She's of indigenous and Spanish descent. I asked the cashier if these books were on hold, and I observed her for a few moments prior to asking, considering whether or not I should interfere with her wide-eyed, trance-like state that seemed to be focused solely on the whimsical sounds of harpsichords and eastern instruments playing loudly throughout the shop. No, those are new. I just haven't shelved them yet, she replied, and I grabbed it, knowing I would buy it. As I quickly flipped through just to get a preview of what was inside, I caught the name Clarissa Pinkola Estes, the author of Women Who Run With the Wolves. She actually wrote an essay in this anthology, so if I had any hesitation at all, this was absolute confirmation that it was meant for me. Reading has always been one of my favorite pastimes, and to me there's nothing like flipping through the pages, highlighting the parts that resonate with me, just making sure that I give myself enough time to enjoy activities like this beyond reading for research or for a specific outcome in mind, simply taking a book to the park, 
laying in the sun and spending time learning something new. And that brings me to our topic today of slow living. As I get older and experience different ways of living, I find myself increasingly drawn to this concept of the slow life. And I use this as a broad term to just encapsulate these ideas of being present in the moment, of having an intentional life, of living in a way that is conducive to honoring our own energy cycles. Because by age 25, which to most of society's standards isn't that old, but to me was a significant milestone and kind of marked a quarter life crisis, I had already reached burnout more times than I could count. I had joined the working world at a very young age, and I've always been a very goal-oriented person. For the last 10 plus years of my life, I've been driven by this internal burning desire to achieve something in the world. And I have accomplished what I set my mind to, whether it be moving out of my family home at 18 or funding myself through college, graduating and getting a degree. I had always worked three jobs, juggling full-time freelance and being a university student. It wasn't until I started traveling first within the United States and then abroad that I realized there was perhaps a different way and I gained a new perspective on what I wanted to accomplish as I slowed down the pace of my own life and took time to reflect on certain goals, making the leap into working for myself in entrepreneurship rather than working full-time at a company, I started realizing that there was a lot more to life than working, and I think that I very much based my value off of what I achieved in my career. My identity was so closely correlated with my job title. So as I started having this growing desire to live in a different way, in some regards do less and in other ways do more, but more of the things that I found to be significant, I started to question if something was wrong with me. Why did I no longer fit into the systems and the structures so pervasive in this country? This is where experiencing different cultural norms helped me to realize that there are many ways to define work and leisure. Once you experience a life where even the simple moments are imbued with beauty and wonder, where you can have deep solitude to reflect on intellectual pursuits, but also intentional gatherings with like-minded spirits and a sense of community where you're more connected to the earth and to other people in authentic ways, it's really hard to come back and resume the grind, as people say. The world may give us accolades for achieving a lot by the time we're still very young, and for sacrificing every last ounce of our soul in order to achieve material rewards. But what is it worth if we lose our happiness, health, 
insanity in the process. It often feels as though there is a tremendous pressure on us from a young age that if we slow down even just a little bit, we'll miss out on our chance to reach our goals, whether it be success, financial stability, love, or anything else that we desire. It's expected of us that we must always maintain the same levels of productivity, energy, and output, no matter what season of life we are in. So we go through the motions, focused on far-off goals, and the moments, the days pass us by. Instead of taking our time to cook a meal, we find the easiest and quickest option. We can have everything delivered, expedited, rushed, packed, processed. When does it become too much? When everything is automated, it detracts from our human experience. The pleasures of living, picking herbs from the garden, cooking a wholesome meal, working with our hands. The idea of such great technological advancements is to free up time for things more worthwhile or grander pursuits. But what is it we spend all this additional time doing? It's likely not to be in nature more often or to spend more time moving our bodies or connecting with loved ones or pursuing higher spiritual or philosophical goals. Most often, we seek out the faster and easier way so that we can work more, spend more time on our computers, tablets, phones, spend more hours at a desk. Technology has become an appendage, an extension of us that we are so deeply dependent on. But I think there's something really beautiful in relinquishing certain modern conveniences to forego the easiest option so that we can bring more presence to whatever task we have at hand. And it can be something so simple, like how we make coffee in the morning. Many of us have an automatic coffee machine. We put the grounds and water in, walk away, and it beeps when it's finished. So we go off and do something else while the coffee is being prepared for us. Think in contrast to using a more manual, tactile method. There's the mocha pot, a stovetop espresso maker popular in Europe, which has a rich cultural history of usage, or the many different pour-overs like a Kalita or Chemex. In the latter method, you weigh out the grounds, put a gooseneck kettle on the stove, and wait for it to boil. Then you take out a filter, rinse it with a little bit of hot water, and pour that out. You place the grounds in the glass votive and go ahead with pouring the water, but it's in a very precise way. It must be done in a spiral motion, starting from the inside, moving outwards. After the first pour, you wait and you watch as the coffee grounds bloom. This is when the fresh beans release their trapped carbon dioxide. You wait 45 seconds to a minute until they settle back down again. This whole process requires that you are focused and paying attention without multitasking. It's a challenge to see if the mind can solely focus on one thing at a time. And there's a delicate balance here because as you keep pouring the water, you have to make sure it's enough to brew, but not too much that it floods over or too quickly that the end result is tea-like and overly diluted. At the same time, you must make sure the grounds are never completely dry until you are finished brewing. 
whether you are a coffee drinker or not, this is one small example of an everyday task that we can bring more awareness to beyond the benefits of a richer taste. It's important not to rush and give ourselves enough time to savor the moments in our morning routine to have a few minutes to cultivate an inner sense of calm. And this sense of calm provides a buffer for the guaranteed stressors of life. When we lose this spaciousness in everyday moments, we also lose the ability to check back in authentically with ourselves. And by way of repetition, we deepen the grooves of our habitual actions and similar patterns of thinking. But when we slow down, the overthinking mind has an opportunity to settle. It allows for us to come back into our bodies. And when we are in our bodies, we can develop keener awareness of our intuitive cues. We can begin listening to the body's responses and reactions, however minute this becomes our guiding force, rather than the approval or disapproval of the world around us. By stepping outside of the chatter in our minds and putting a pause on all of the input that we get constantly, we realize that there are indeed many different paths available to us. We listen to our intuition on a deeper level and we allow space for spontaneous inspiration, what they call the divine spark or a light bulb moment. Rather than being constantly overwhelmed and caught up in the internal and external chaos of our lives, believing that the only way to decompress is through distraction and non-feeling, we notice this beauty that is available to us in even the smallest moments. I've heard the phrase that some of the happiest people have the least, and while this may not seem true when we're in America and when we see and have perhaps firsthand experienced what it's like to be in such deep poverty and to have a lack of resources and not be able to meet our needs or our family's needs, this can sound outrageous. But I understood this in the context of going to other countries that we consider to be and call developing nations, I saw that there was such a sense of peace and contentment and presence in the people I met who, whose land that I visited and who was in South America. I watched as a family tended to their land, each being assigned their own tasks. I stayed in some very rural areas and visited the land of newly made friends. There is a activity in Argentina called asado, and even though I've been vegan for over 10 years and don't consume meat, I appreciate the practice of this, and really it just translates to a grilling. So. A lot of the time, they grilled me some vegetables, but beyond the actual food that's being consumed and in every 
situation where I experienced it, it was always animals that had been raised on these people's own land. Nothing like the factory farms that we see here in the United States. It's similar to here where we have a barbecue and when we do this usually for holidays it's a pretty big deal you know we invite neighbors we have family everyone brings something it can kind of turn into this potluck style event and you're outside you're sitting together at a picnic table you're just chatting and probably drinking whatever it may be the kids are playing we were welcomed with asado anytime we met someone new <laughs> and no matter what time of day they would welcome us complete strangers in spending their time to give these travelers these foreigners care and attention and we would sit and talk for hours on a Tuesday at noon and myself trying to pick up bits of Spanish here and there I would listen more than I would speak just trying to pick up the words that I knew I experienced siestas both in South America and in Spain the socially acceptable nap to take in the middle of the day Usually when it's the hottest and when it would be nearly impossible to be working outdoors, even shopkeeps and business owners would go home, spend time with family, sleep, eat lunch, and come back at the end of the day until their shop closed. The funny thing that I noticed about certain towns, especially the more rural ones, which the is that sometimes the businesses didn't reopen after a siesta and it was very difficult to find the regular shop hours on Google Maps. It was never accurate. There was one time that I sent a WhatsApp message to the store owner who was, according to Google, supposed to be in. She messaged me back, I'm not there right now, but I can be. Give me 20 minutes. So, for 20 minutes, I walked around, found a fresh mango, and just hung out on the street corner. She showed up and opened her shop just for me. I wanted to understand the logistics of it all. I think coming from the perspective of someone who grew up in Los Angeles, where not only are we in this capitalistic society, but it's in a city where it's non-stop, where success is measured by fame and by material wealth, by how big your house is and what neighborhood you live in and what car you drive and what designer clothes you're wearing and what purse you're holding considering the rent prices here and what it takes to actually be a business owner or a shop owner and how many barriers there are to pursuing something that's just a hobby or just for fun. It's hard to imagine that there's a different and more leisurely approach 
But the people in these rural areas, they wear the same jeans every day because they're working on the land. They're not striving to buy a certain car. They just need their truck to haul around materials. The people I met were rich in resources from the land. And they had skills that you cannot place a monetary value on. They were self-sufficient. But I have a vivid memory of taking a break from a horseback ride to drink the fresh water flowing through a river that had melted off of the Andes Mountains. True glacial melt water from the source. Not in a plastic bottle, not transported hundreds of thousands of miles. It was so cold on the palate, so fresh. I'm very interested in observing how people live sustainably and in harmony with the earth. There's research into the world's blue zones where people live the longest. And there's five cities that meet all of the criteria. After sending anthropologists and scientists and researchers to discover and disseminate what exactly it is that contributes to these people's lifespans and their health, they identified nine commonalities between all of these communities. And one of them really stood out to me. It's called downshift, and it's the reduction of chronic stress. Other contributing factors have to do with our plant-heavy diet and religious or spiritual affiliation and a sense of community and belonging. But in the context of this conversation about slowing down our pace in life, I think it's important to consider how our nervous system is impacted by the chronic and detrimental stress that we feel on a daily basis. What they call eustress or good stress is when we feel motivated by life's challenges, when we feel a little bit of nervousness before a date or before an interview that we're actually really excited for. That's different than the chronic stress that causes our cortisol levels and adrenaline to spike, giving us a momentary feeling of energy, but crashing, leaving us overly fatigued, and having that happen every day, multiple times a day. But we become accustomed to living in this state of fight or flight, and I think a lot of us confuse that for the type of stress that actually pushes us towards our goals because our momentum eventually when we're going at this level and at this pace and we are non-stop it causes us to fall the stress pushes us downwards instead of forwards and the chronic stress that leads to inflammation makes us more susceptible to diseases we start feeling the effects on our body, mind, and spirit. And this is why that downshift is so important, whether it be the siesta, the nap, the meal with family, the break, the walk that we go on, because we need to discharge 
the energy rather than allowing it to accumulate. This is what breaks people. I felt it. This is what burnout is. I see it happening all around me because it's impossible to never feel stress or experience a situation where we feel negative emotions. There are circumstances that happen that are outside of our control, but we can consciously wring out what we're holding onto so tightly. Eventually, we have to release the heaviness of the things that weigh on us. I don't think that there's one way of living that is the perfect fit for every person. We all are so unique and we thrive in different environments. One person may be more inclined to live in a rural area and another person may genuinely enjoy living in the city. But I think concepts from this idea can be applied to our life no matter where we are. Even living on the 11th story of a skyscraper, we can change the pace in which we operate, reconnecting with the earth when we can, taking longer, leisurely walks. We can create rituals within our home or apartment. Even in the smallest living circumstances, we have ways of reminding ourselves to come back to the present moment. Maybe it's lighting a candle or incense or having a meditation cushion or a yoga mat accessible. And even living on an off-grid farm comes with all of the challenges and the pressure to be providing your own sense of food, water, and resources, troubleshooting when necessary. Maybe the closest town to your small home is a few hours away and you need to stock up for what you need. But I can think back within my own life, the difference between working the same amount of hours on a farm, waking up, at 4.30 in the morning and driving the truck down to our plot of land versus waking up at 9 o'clock and clocking into a job, logging onto my computer and being bombarded with emails and messages from my manager and co-workers. The job I had at a publishing house or at a startup, even though I made a lot more money and I could do it from an office or my home, tending to the land and working those long days, picking and pruning and sorting was so much more fulfilling, even though it's a lot of physical labor, it's a lot of work, there was a part of my soul that felt really nourished being in communion with the land every day and also providing food for people who needed it. I think I would take that any day over a job that pays six figures because what is life made up besides the small moments in our everyday lives? And I think most of us are at the breaking point. We're looking for an alternative way of living. We're looking for a different way to do things because this isn't working anymore. So I hope that this was a reminder not that you need to go move to another country or that you should quit your job today, but that there are other ways, that there are other options. Even in the short term, choosing your own peace and your own harmony and calm and contentment. I think even this is an act of resistance. Choosing to experience happiness and joy 
right here in this moment instead of believing that anything we buy or earn will give us that sense of fulfillment that we're looking for. Thank you for joining me for this conversation today. I hope that it's allowed you to envision different possibilities for the way that you move through your day or your life. You can also subscribe to the Inner Adder newsletter where you will get an essay on the same topic every week. And on the newsletter, you can leave comments to connect with other people, to connect with me, to tell me some of your own thoughts and ideas on slow living, what practices you've incorporated or want to start doing. And we can share our ideas with each other there and inspire each other. You can also connect with me on Instagram at sage.wilder and for collaborations or inquiries, you can send me a DM or an email. Have a beautiful and blessed rest of your day.